Her name was Chen Ji. As the date of her long-anticipated release from prison neared, Chen Ji wondered whether her young sons would even remember her. You see, she had spent the last two years in a labor camp in China. She hadn't seen her sons for over two years during her imprisonment. Chen Ji, a young mother and a pastor's wife and a former kindergarten director, never anticipated that just a couple years ago in 2014 she would be arrested with, uh, with a husband who was a pastor in China where religion is tightly controlled. She and her husband had prepared for this possible arrest, but they had never thought that she would be the one arrested. In the end, it was her role as the director of the Huelin Foreign Language Experimental Kindergarten that took her to prison for two years. Chinese authorities charged the school and its administration with the crime of, quote, illegal business operations, close quote. And due to the use of what the authorities called religious curriculum, the school was then closed and four people associated with it, including Chen Ji, were arrested. At first, prison was a scary time for Chen Ji. She had never known anyone with drug problems or who had engaged in criminal behavior, but here she was, suddenly crammed in a cell with 15 other criminals. Some of her cellmates were due to be put to death for committing murders. Their 15 by 15 foot cell had one toilet for all the women to share. Quarrels would often break out between the women. Others would sob continually. The women were expected to work 12-hour workdays, and they were fed very little, usually rice with boiled cabbage or radishes. Soon, however, Chen Ji realized that she indeed had a unique opportunity to minister to the other women, and she began to love them. She says, even though I was in prison, I felt like I am happy because I have the joy from God. In February of 2016, Chen Ji's sentence was complete. Excuse me. Her husband was allowed to visit once a month, but the children who were one and three years old when she was arrested were not allowed to come in. During their visits, the husband and wife encouraged one another, but the guards refused to allow him to give Chen Ji a Bible. But God provided her with a copy of his word. Another way, another prisoner had one, and she traded it to Chen Ji for some other items. And despite the long working hours, Chen read the Bible faithfully every night and found encouragement in God's word. She also taught her cellmates songs and hymns and Bible stories. Her faith and trustworthiness made her stand out to the prison authorities. God is great. It makes me think of Joseph in the Old Testament. And after six months, they let me manage all of these cells, she had told them. She was also thankful for a good lawyer who had advised her on how to address the charges against her. She had pled not guilty. If she had said she was guilty, she may have gotten a longer sentence. She said she often felt anxious, but she learned to trust God for each day during her imprisonment. Another thing that provided encouragement was all of the letters she received containing hymns and Bible verses and encouraging notes. As letters poured in from the United States, she said she thought to herself, really, I can't go through this. But because of the encouragement from all over the world, it makes my faith strong. That is why I can go through my difficulties. 
There's a picture of her right after her release. It took a while for her boys to be reintroduced to her because they were so young. And this is just a few months ago that Chen Ji was released from prison. You know, I have to tell you that as I read her story, and that's from the website of the Voice of the Martyrs, which is your insert in your bulletin is a reminder of that. I felt convicted. I mean, when is the last time you prayed for a brother or sister in Christ who's being persecuted? Do you know anybody's name? Have you researched anyone's name? I haven't really. Of a brother or sister who is suffering today because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It's really not that hard to do. We have put in your bulletin this morning an insert uh, from the Voice of the Martyrs website. And I would encourage you to take that and put it, place it in your Bible this morning and not lose track of it. It's a very helpful insert on helping you learn to pray. And this is a way to pray in general for those who are suffering for their faith in Christ. It is kind of an interesting question, isn't it, that if it cost you something to come to church today, would you be here? I mean, for example, if you had a threat of losing your employment because you came to church this morning, would you have come? If you had the threat of being placed in handcuffs, and Marcus says, I would love to get fired from Chick-fil-A, man. <laughs> if, you, if you had the threat of being placed in handcuffs because you came and fellowship with believers in Christ today, would you be here today? It's very difficult for us to know, isn't it? We have enjoyed incredible freedom in our country. Uh, I have to say that I'm, I believe it's an answer to prayer that, that um, Mike Pence is our vice president, and I praise God for his position of influence on our president-elect Donald Trump. I trust that... Um, Appointments that will be made and offices that will be filled will only strengthen religious freedom in the United States that we felt in some way was being encroached upon. Now, we don't know exactly what the future holds, but will you pray for Mike Pence? And will you pray for his opportunity to influence cabinet appointments right now as he chairs that committee? And will you pray that the United States would strengthen, it has weakened in the last uh, decade, its influence around the world for religious freedom? We have tremendous opportunity as a strong United States of America to be a voice for those who are suffering for Christ around the world. We need to pray to that end. You see, there's a lot of nations in the world today. There are millions of people. As the sun came up and encircled the globe today and people rose, there are entire nations that are oppressed for the gospel. Let me just rattle off some lists of, of names of some possibilities. Uh, at the top of the list is North Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Pakistan, Somalia, Sudan, Iran, Libya, Saudi Arabia, Myanmar, India, China. That's just that's not even a, an exhaustive list. And it represents millions of people where they're where they're Freedom to worship Christ becomes a very threat to their lives and their livelihood. What a challenge it is. Well, we only have a few minutes left this morning, and in the time that we have, I want us to be challenged as, as a wake-up call at Fellowship Bible Church to ask the Lord to strengthen us in our awareness and in our commitment to caring for and praying for the persecuted church. You know, in a lot of ways, I say to myself, 
Shame on me for not caring more. You know that the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. You don't have to turn there, but you could write it down on your notes. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 says this. It says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Think about that. It's speaking in the context directly of brothers and sisters in Christ who are unjustly incarcerated because of their faith. And the writer of the Hebrews, it was happening at that time, and the writer of Hebrews, his challenge to the Hebrew believers was, do not forget them, and in fact, remember them as though you were in prison yourself with them. He goes on to say in Hebrews 13.3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. And he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the fact that we are connected with believers in Christ around the globe. The greater body of Christ needs to matter to us. And if they are hurting, we ought to be hurting. If they need prayer, we need to be praying. I have to tell you, when I read Chen Ji's story, I was a little bit embarrassed. I never heard of her until I looked it up on the website. I didn't pray for her. I didn't send her a note. And what got her through was the knowledge that people in the United States were praying for her. I think we need to change the culture at Fellowship Bible Church in this area. I think we need a wake-up call, and we receive it from Acts chapter 12. We're going to take a break from Matthew right now. And uh, will you turn to Acts chapter 12? Because you need to know that this matter of the persecution of the church and, and suffering for the gospel is not a new issue. In fact, from almost from the very beginning, and you'll recall, even in Matthew chapter 10, where we were a few months ago, we were reminded by our Lord Jesus as he taught his disciples that you will be persecuted. Remember, he said there, I have not come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. Remember that troubling statement that our Lord made? And the idea was not that it was in his intent for people to get hurt, but the reality is, is that the gospel causes the sword to swing. The gospel causes people to oppress believers in Christ. They don't want the truth. The truth convicts them of their sin. And it is part of their effort in Satan's plan and scheme to fight against God, to oppress the gospel, and to beat down his church. We have a wonderful story in Acts chapter 12, and if you'll get your notes nearby, um, I'm going to read the text in its entirety, and then we're going to go through the notes and kind of unfold what was happening there and make some application. And what I am praying for in my own life and what I pray for our congregation is that we we would have our hearts challenged today, even broken for the cause of those who are being persecuted for their faith. Acts chapter 12 is a great story. It is largely about the apostle Peter, but let's pick up what's happening in verse 1. About that time, um, this was a time when there was some famine going on, and it is described in in chapter 11. And so it was about that same time of what was happening in chapter 11 that in chapter 12 we read that Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. 
Now, this was during the days of the unleavened bread. I'm reading from the ESV. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God to God by the church. Verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, the angel did, and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out, Peter went out and followed the angel. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first test, first, excuse me, and when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the people, all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, that's the writer of the gospel, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. And she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and he went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance. It was a greatest disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. And now we conclude with Herod's death. It's kind of my favorite part of the story. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. It was a political dealing. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king, King Herod's country, for food. Verse 21, and on, a, on, appointed, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. I take it to be on the greatness of Herod himself. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. The historian Josephus says that he writhed in pain for five days before dying. Verse 24 concludes our text. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Amen. Wow. What an incredible story. If you have your notes there, you know that I've divided it into two parts. And, and the first is a look at the great expense. What the gospel cost. We've already asked ourselves the question, if it had cost me something... To be here today, would I be here for the cause of the gospel? 
The first thing we see in the text is that Herod is the king. Let me just take a minute and remind you historically who we're talking about here, because you know some of these other Herods. This is Herod Agrippa I in our story here. He ruled from 37 AD, so shortly after the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, 37 AD to 44 AD was his tenure of reign in this part of the country. He worked for Rome. These Herods were wicked people. His grandfather was Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the Herod that we talk about at Christmas time in Matthew chapter 2, who had ordered that all the babies be killed. Remember that story? That was Herod the Great. Herod the Great had a son. He had many sons. He killed a couple of his own sons. And one of his own sons that he killed was this Herod the First's father. So this is Herod the Great's grandson that we're reading about here because his father had been killed by his grandfather because he was threatened and didn't want a mutiny to his own kingdom. There's going to be another Herod Agrippa that you're going to read about later in the book of Acts, and it's a pretty good story as well. It's not about Peter, but it's about the Apostle Paul. And you remember that at the end of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul recounts his testimony with great power and authority to Festus and to Herod Agrippa and to those kings that are there, the governors that are in the, in the part of his incarceration when he ends up going to Rome for house arrest. And that Herod is this Herod's son. The one that the Apostle Paul is going to stand before later in the book of Acts. So the Herod the Great is the one who killed the babies in Matthew chapter 2. Herod, he killed his son. Who's, so this is his grandson, Herod the First, who Peter is dealing with here. And then his son is Herod the Second, who the Apostle Paul is going to stand before. So a little slice of history there. As we look at our story, let's go through it. We, we've picked it up. It reads easy, and I know you caught it. The first thing we see that the church is dealing with and the cost of the gospel is, imp- is being impacted by violent hands. Violent hands. Notice it says, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. Because of his violent hands, letter B, we have broken hearts in the church. We have broken hearts in the church because they have killed James, the brother of John. Listen, these are beloved brothers in Christ who are being killed. James is uh, really the first martyr um, following Stephen, the beginning of persecution. Something we're going to do, if you notice in your notes, that there's a text box. And as we go throughout our sermon today, we're going to make seven observations that define the persecuted church out of our text. It's as true today as it was in this Acts chapter 12. And the first thing we observe in our text already is that, number one in our text box, that the persecuted church is a grieving church. You see, this is a way that we can pray for the persecuted church. Know that today, as we rose and wondered what we would have for breakfast and wondered how long Pastor Van would preach and what we were going to watch on TV this afternoon, we had brothers and sisters in Christ as the sun came up upon their churches that are grieving. They are grieving because their wives have been put in prison. And they're living in a 15-foot square, 15-foot square cell with a dozen other women using one toilet. And it's dirty and it's filthy and there's cursing and there's wailing and there's sobbing and there's fistfights and eye scratching. And a husband is worried and he's grieving over that. I mean, think about the emotion of the church. With violent hands, Herod has attacked. He has swung the sword because you noticed in the text, and this is letter C, that the Jews have called for this, and this is hateful crowds. The populace is turning against the church, 
And they hate the followers of Jesus Messiah. They are the Jews. They do not believe that Messiah has come. But they know their Old Testament. And back in Deuteronomy, there is an instruction in Mosaic Law that says to the Israelites from God that if anybody will follow after another God, take the sword and cut their head off. Now, some people think that's a call for jihad. Now, that was a specific instruction to Israel for a specific time when the wages of sin was death then, just like it is now. That is not for today. That is not a call to swing the sword for anybody who's outside of the Christian faith, like a Muslim might do, a radical, supposedly radicalized Muslim. Herod's violent hands has broken the hearts The hateful crowds are calling for more and notice that because he found it so pleasing to the people, he arrested Peter and put him in prison. You know, let's just imagine for a minute that this happened in our church. Let's imagine that this past week, the word got around and you opened your Facebook and the word was around. Jim Shupey had his head cut off this week. One of our precious elders and Bible teachers had his head cut off. And he's dead. Think of the shockwaves that that would have put through the church. And, and Pastor Van was arrested Saturday afternoon. He's not going to be at church Sunday morning. And in fact, the word is on the street, they're going to cut his head off. Think about that. Think about what it would do to our church if our spiritual leaders were being arrested and some of them were losing their very lives. We would be a grieving church, wouldn't we? And notice number two in our text box is, is we noticed already in verse three that it pleased the Jews. And so he arrested Peter. They were hateful crowds. The second description of a persecuted church, number two in our text box, is that it is a hated church. They're hated. And know that as we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ, we're praying for people who are hated in their community for no other cause than the reality of the fact that they preach Christ or they live for Christ or they are known as believers in Christ. There are also, number three in our text box, a suffering church. You see back up under number one, letter D, these were fearful days. Let's look at verse four and five. And they seized Peter, put him in prison. And so they were intending, as soon as this uh, feast of the unleavened, the days of the unleavened bread, the final feast of Passover was done, they were going to bring him out before the people. And Peter was kept in prison. These are fearful days. They don't know who's next. And it is indeed a suffering church. Leaders are taken by surprise. They're abused. They're beat with clubs. They're famished. They're starved. They're put in work camps. All around the world, right now, today, that is happening. It is happening. It's hard for us to get our minds about. But we see finally, letter E under number one, that it's a praying church. Look at verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer. I guess so. The believers gathered and they prayed with earnestness that God would spare their lives. They were a praying church. Number four is also a praying church in our text box. So we see that a persecuted church then and now is a grieving church, a hated church, a suffering church, a praying church. Well, we move to the great escape. And we see the care of our God in the midst of the cost of the gospel. We have a God who cares I wonder if you can identify yourself in this prayer meeting as we recount this story. So Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. So I take it, number letter A, that this was the final day. So on the night before the final day, when Herod was going to bring Peter before the people and whack his head off, and they were going to lose another mighty servant of the gospel, 
we have this final day, an angel of the Lord comes to Peter. It is interesting to me that Peter is sleeping. Now, one of the things that's worth noting is that letter B, that there are extra guards in this story. There are extra guards. Notice what we have. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. All right, so here's the reason. you got to understand, this isn't the first time old Peter's been in prison. This is the third time Peter's been in prison already in his ministry tenure. And the last time was back in Acts chapter 5, and it's a wonderful story. They had him in a box, they had him in a prison cell, and they're leaning against the door, the guards are. And in that story, if you read it in Acts chapter 5, the Lord just took Peter and picked him up out of the prison. He went, whoop, 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 and put him down over in the square of the city. All right. I don't know if Peter remembers going through the walls. I don't know what that was like, but he just like translated him over. He's like, and so the guards in Acts chapter five think that Peter's in the cell and they're leaning against the door and all is well. And then they come to get Peter and they open up the door and the place is empty. And they're like, whoa, how could that happen? Well, God did it. Bam, he's out in the middle, and they go looking for him, and he's out in the middle of the town square preaching Christ. So this time, when they get him, he's like, we're going to take care of this guy. So they go in the cell with him, and they chain a Roman guard against on each of his arms with chains, and there's Peter sleeping. Well, you know what? If God had kind of vip, vip, vip me out of prison before, I'd say, okay, Lord, I'm waiting for the vip, and I go to sleep. It's like, if I go to sleep... I go to sleep right now. Maybe I'll wake up preaching Christ out in the middle of the city square. It's like, I don't know what God's going to do. He didn't know what God's going to do. Well, this time God chose to deliver him with an angel. What a wonderful experience it was. Peter's sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains, sentries at the door, verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. There's all kinds of miraculous things that happen here. And the angel takes and he pokes at Peter on the side and shakes him and pokes him in the side. And he wakes him up and he says, get up quickly. And it's always kind of funny to me when I read the story that the angel's trying to hurry Peter up. Like, here he is, he's got guards that he's put into a deep sleep. He's made chains, miraculously fall off his wrist. He's going to go right out the doors of the prison. They're not going to squeak on their hinges. Nobody's going to wake up. He's going to walk outside the gates of their own accord, it says. The gates of their own accord. Yeah, right, the hand of God opened the gates and they walk out and the angel's like, nervous or something. Hurry up, Peter. We got to get out of here. That's just kind of funny to me. It's like, you would think he would say, we got 20 minutes here, you know, to do this. Or, it's like, hurry up, Peter. Let's go. So they dress. He gets dressed. Peter dresses him. Get your sandals on. And I take it the reason the angel has to give him instruction. Peter can't figure out what's going on. And this is the angel dream. Let her see the angel dream seven through 10 here. And it's described there and we've already read it. And Finally, he's out on the street in verse 9, and he realizes that it's real. He's kind of slapping his face, and the angel disappears. He's oriented in the community. He recognizes the street that he's on, and he goes to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, the disciple, and they're having a prayer meeting. Here's where I wonder if you can identify with people in the prayer meeting. Peter, he comes to himself in verse 11. 
And now he's sure. It says, now I am sure that the Lord sent his angel. And off he goes. And he realizes it. He goes to Mary's house, verse 12. And then when he knocked on the gate of the door, doorway, the gateway in verse 13, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. In verse 14, she recognizes Peter's voice and she is so happy that she forgets to open the gate, but she runs right back up to the prayer meeting to report that Peter's down at the front gate. And now look what they say to her. And they say, you are out of your mind. Shame on them. And shame on us. Isn't that how we pray? It ain't going to happen, but I'll pray. God never heals pancreatic cancer. God never gets people out of Herod's jails. They're up there praying for his release, and he comes and knocks at the door, and they tell the girl, you're out of your mind. It's an angel. It's an angel that looks like Peter. Shame on us for praying with such a low level of expectation. Shame on us for thinking so little of our God. And I recognize that often God doesn't answer prayer the way we want him to. Maybe we just get too used to that. But we see answered prayer in verse 12, letter D, answered prayer. And surely that resulted, letter E, in a grateful church, didn't it? Can you imagine their joy? She recognizes his voice. She goes up. You're out of your mind. Verse 15, verse 16. Peter keeps knocking. Verse 17. They let him in and they're amazed. And he motions with his hand because think about it. He got let out in the middle of the night. This prayer meeting was going all night. That reminds us, number five in our text box, that the persecuted church is a sleepless church. It's a sleepless church. You know, as we slept well last night, Our brothers and sisters in Christ, many of them had to assemble in the darkness. And if they were going to pray together, and if they were going to study God's word together, and if they were going to be together and encourage one another, they had to meet in the darkness last night. Because they couldn't afford to be seen in the daylight. The church had gathered in the middle of the night, and they're at Mary's house praying. And there was no sleep, and there was much worry. And they are so tired. And you know, when you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted, they are often exhausted. They are exhausted. They can't relax. But notice what Peter does in verse 17. He shushes them, partly because they're in a house in a neighborhood, and the hubbub is going to wake up the neighbors, and Herod's going to figure out where Peter is. And Peter hushes them, and then he says, he motions with his hand, verse 17, be silent. And then he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Don't you think that was just a moment? Everybody was quiet, and their mouths are hanging open. Wow. Wow, we were praying, and God delivered. God is so good. And you know, the persecuted church, number six in your text box, is a testifying church. Peter had a testimony, didn't he, to answered prayer. Peter was testifying as to what God was doing and what he did right in front of their face. And when you pray and you're part of, if you ever visit the persecuted church and are around persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ, they always have fantastic testimonies. They always just have stories about what God has done. Uh, They have stories that break your heart and grieve you too. Remember I told you the story back when we were in Matthew 10 and talking about persecution a few months ago. I told you the story about my dear friend, Dr. Chuck Bethel, who ministers in the Middle East teaching seminary classes. And Chuck was telling about some of the pastor students in his seminary classes. And they come in from Syria. And they come in from these worn-torn, ISIS-attacked, afflicted countries. And these dear brothers come to his classes in Jordan. 
And one brother was talking about how his daughter died. Because in their community, the, there was a, there was a uh, respiratory disease that was um, going through the children. And all they needed was medicine and a nebulizer, but the Muslims only let the Muslim children have them and the Christian children died of an absolutely curable problem. You see what I mean by a grieving church? A broken-hearted, crying church? But a testifying church. Because even that brother moving on for Christ is a testimony, isn't it? Of the power of God. Did you hear Chen's story? How she began to love the other prisoners. What a great story. The guards then began to entrust her like Joseph of old, and she began to have responsibility over a block of prisoners, distributing the food, taking care of their needs, having influence for Christ. It's a testifying church. It's a testifying church. Well, it's a grateful church. We said letter E, Peter gets out, and we skip right to the end of the story. Herod, God takes care of Herod, and God will take care of wicked kings in his time. But verse 24, as we wrap up our text, it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. In other words, the church continued to grow. Listen, number seven in your text box, know that it's a growing church. It's a growing church. When you pray, pray for all of the, all of the new churches that are starting up. In China, for example, they have bulldozed down churches. They have tamed wrecking cranes and pulled the steeples off of churches. They have bulldozed the Christians' businesses. They have limited their ability to minister. And yet the church is growing in China, they say, like never before. You can't stop this gospel. And Jesus said he would build his church and he's building his church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. So pray for these new churches. Pray for what God is doing. Seven ways that we can think of and understand what, a, what identifies in Acts chapter 12, a persecuted church. And it's exactly true today. It's a grieving church, a hated church, a suffering church, a praying church, a sleepless church, a testifying church. And it is indeed a growing church. Listen, there's a couple things we need to remind ourselves out of Acts chapter 12 today. One is, don't be surprised. Why would, be, why would we be surprised that there's going to be persecution against the gospel? See, we are the anomaly in the United States. We have been a privileged and blessed people. One of the questions I ask myself is, what am I doing with my privilege? Am I doing enough? to assist brothers and sisters around the world. What does God want us to do in this time of strength and freedom and wealth that we have? He certainly does not want us to ignore or go to sleep on the body of Christ being persecuted. But don't be surprised. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says clearly, and Paul got this right from the message of our Lord from Matthew chapter 10, he understood the gospel message as well, even though he wasn't a disciple. Anyone who will live a righteous life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, it said. Jesus said, expect your mother and your brother and your sister and your father to turn against you for the cause of the gospel. What did you think was going to happen? Well, in America, we don't think like that. But they do around the world. Remember, I told you before another testimony from Chuck Bethel. And he was gathering with his students in Jordan. And, and they were coming in from closed countries to the classes. 
And they were sharing some stories of persecution. And Chuck said, and then the one dear pastor brother turned to him and he said to him, he said, tell us, how are you being persecuted? And Chuck said, I just had to be quiet. I had nothing to say. So how are you being persecuted? Now, we don't want to go look for it, but we certainly don't want to forget those who are being persecuted. Secondly, don't stop praying, okay? I had really intended for this to have some prayer emphasis. Um, uh, last Sunday was really the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It was on my heart for us to pray for our election in a very specific ways, and I believe that God answered prayer. And I believe that we need to keep praying for our leaders, but we then I brought it to this Sunday for the persecuted church, and I had had planned to sprinkle some prayer in throughout the time, but I, I lost control. Don't stop praying. So maybe instead of this being a, a, a day of prayer at Fellowship Bible Church for the international persecuted church, this is just a day to wake up at Fellowship Bible Church about the persecuted church around the globe, right? That we would wake up um, and that God would begin to stir in us what our responsibility is. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 said, say that we are to pray for kings and those who are in power so that we might live a peaceful and quiet life. You know, when there's a monarchy, when there's just a king ruling, power abuse is rampant. Part of the reason we have peace is because we live in a, in a system that has some balance of power. We need to continually pray for Donald Trump that we will enjoy peace and quiet. Paul said, you should pray for your leader so that you will not be persecuted. Let's do that. And then let's pray for regime change to peaceful leaders in other countries. Let's pray for kings like, like Nebuchadnezzar of old to be afflicted in such a way that they wake up and recognize that God rules the world and the universe. And to change their whole tone of leadership. Don't stop praying. And then thirdly, don't give up. Romans 1.16 is familiar, isn't it? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You embarrassed of Jesus? Listen, if you're embarrassed of Jesus in this setting, you will never go to jail for Jesus. If you're embarrassed of Jesus in the setting in which we live today, and you're at work and somebody calls you a Holy Joe or something for going to church or whatever, because you don't cuss, and that embarrasses you, then rest easy. You will never get your head cut off for Christ because you will capitulate. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, that's all people everywhere. And as I've been saying throughout Matthew's gospel, our study in Matthew all these years, why would you be embarrassed? of this wonderful Lord Jesus we have. Why would you be embarrassed of him? He's the master of the universe. He's my king. And he's my savior. And you can't threaten me with heaven, can you? And it's the process that's real uncomfortable when they're jerking your fingernails out or drilling a 1 16th inch drill into your knuckles. That's no good. But oh, to see my savior's face. If they roll my head off my shoulders, who cares? Right? Will you stand with me, please? You know, would you just take a minute?
And would you challenge yourself? I know it's a little bit like saying you're going to go on a diet because somebody else is challenging you. You know, you can't do it unless you're ready. But would you ask God, like I want to ask God, and I will ask God together for us, Lord, would you just wake us up? And would you just convict us today? And would you break our hearts for our precious, dear brothers and sisters in Christ where the gospel is costing them dearly? And would you forgive us for our complacency and our callousness? And would you begin a new work at Fellowship Bible Church? A new work where we're looking outward. A new work where our hearts are broken. A new work where we're given to the, to the work of prayer for the persecuted church. Father, we've just introduced ourselves with the concept this morning. Would you continue it now through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.